and welcome back to the What the Fork Happened This Week podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. The football season is back, sort of, in full flow, and we're joined by three youngish men to give us their opinions on the weekend that was. First up, we have a new voice to the pod, owner of Viper Goalkeeping himself, Carl Morris. How are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, really good. Thanks, mate. All good. Secondly, we've got another new voice to the pub. The pub. Well, they're, they're shutting down at 10, aren't they? How are you doing today, Connor Gardner? Are you all right? Tired. Life of a dad. Yeah, I can understand that. And Ian, last but not least, how are you doing? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm well. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, getting by in these strange, you know, times of hours. But yeah, I'm doing fine. First things first, as we did last week, we're all Sunderland fans, so we'll give the weekend game 10 minutes. I'll come to you first, Carl. Massive win for me. Um, Oxford, I've tipped to win the league. I might be a bit wrong with that, and normally I'm there or thereabouts, but what did you make of the match on, on Saturday and, and the result? I think the players needed a response from last week. It's it's always important to get off the mark, isn't it? Three points, massive, um, even bigger for me, kind of being involved with goalkeeping is a clean sheet. Clean sheets. Yeah generally win your, win your leagues so the more clean sheets you can rack up the better How much of that has to do with the, the actual gloves themselves do you think on Saturday? <laughs> oh definitely yeah. absolutely mate yeah Talking of you know Lee Burgess' performance we, we discussed it last week a little bit um, and I think it's fair to say that you know the mistake he made in the Bristol Rovers game was an absolute stinker talked about Sunderland recovering um, and putting in a really good performance but You've touched on it there, clean sheet. Um, do you think it's been a little bit understated how well Leeburge came through a really important game with a clean sheet without actually being troubled that much? Yeah, obviously it wasn't ideal for him last Saturday. Um, making a, like a start of the season and a couple of minutes in and, and maybe he's making a bit of a mistake. Um, and like I said to you, off air, it's, it's all, you, as a goalkeeper, you just want your next game to come along as quick as possible. He's had to wait a week for that. Um, and then to, to have a solid clean sheet the Saturday after, he'll just he'll be on top of the world with that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah perfect. Um, Connor, come on to you. Um, did you watch the game on Saturday? Yes, I did. I watched it. Um, first of all, I've got to eat a bit humble pie because I was one of the first ones to slag off the decision that led bit I got to start over Scowen. As, as we did see a lot on Twitter. And I actually... Probably, probably play quite well. To be fair, he dictated the play and kept the game ticking over really at his own pace. And Oxford struggled with our midfields. To be fair, you, you mentioned Ledbetter there. I think, and I touched on this last week on the podcast. I, I don't understand where. And don't get me wrong, I, I hope I'm wrong, but it seems like Josh Gowan has become like the the second coming of Zinedine Zidane because he put in three corners against. Aston Villa under 18s, whereas Ledbet has sort of been there and done that. Do you think it's one game, right? And, I, and I'm not saying that, you know, he's totally changed. And I think he was poor. There's maybe reasons for that before, well, much before lockdown. Obviously, he's been out for a while. But um, do you think that maybe Ledbet actually has got an awful lot to give still, as opposed to maybe most people thinking, I think he was done and, and Saturday proves it? I think he's a good option to have really to store the game down it's I would I would basically class him as more of an impact sub mm-hmm. he did play quite well on Saturday when he when he was there and I think if the decision if the result was different and we got beat I think he would have been the first one to be the scapegoat because we all saw Twitter just before the game and how the negativity around the selection of him 
and I must hear them to be fair to say that because it is a local lad, it's a club he loves. And he must read it because we all know that the players do take a bit of attention to Twitter and the forums. Um, I just, I think he played well. Yeah, he was my man of the match. He was my man of the match, was Grant. Um, I think I've probably been guilty of, of being quite critical of him when he was in the team last season and, and wasn't the biggest fan of him. I've been critical of all of them, to be honest, apart from probably George Dobson, but that's another matter. Um, but Ian, I wanted to throw something at you really quickly. Um, there's been an awful lot of clamour to see um, our Bennett Jamali, or Arby, as he's been affectionately known in the side. Um, and a lot of a lot of stuff fired at Tom Flanagan, really. Now, I'm very much in the I like Tom Flanagan camp. And I think he had a good game against Bristol Rovers, let alone against Oxford. But do you honestly see any reason to, to change that back three that he's got? Do you understand why people criticise Flanagan? Or do you think that he gets a bit harshly trapped? Um, I think, yeah, yeah. I think I think Flano does come over like a bit of a scapegoat sometimes. He's uh, he's possibly not the most um, the sort of assured in that back three. You know, sort of Willis and um, you know Wright do stand out more. I think. Yeah. Um, what I do like about him is actually is. He, he seems to link up with um, this sort of Hume really quite well. Yeah, I think so um, You know, yeah, uh-huh. you know, I do like that. Um, and he's done it at this level, you know. You know, and we keep saying about, you know, oh, we need, you know, players who have, you know, done, you know, League One, who know how to play in in, in the league, league One. Well, you know, Flano does, so. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> Been there and done it, and I think um, I don't like him in a back two. I've got to be honest. When he was next to Baldwin, it was kind of like that. He used to panic me back in the Jack Ross days. But I think in the back three, I think he's he's quite competent in bringing it out. I don't think he's the best passer in the world, but we're in League One. I think um, I think Flano is probably the better of the three with the ball at his feet. And I know that's a controversial opinion, but that, that, that's all it is, I suppose, is my opinion. Um, before we move away from Sunderland, uh, I'll bring something back to you, Carl. There's a bit of a conundrum going on with with strikers, and it's it's not really probably the conundrum that you want, but it is early days. Is that we don't really seem to know who the number one striker is. Is it Danny Graham? Is it Charlie White? Is it Will Grigg? Because it looked like it was going to be Grigg, then he's booted out. Danny Graham's come in, but then when Charlie White comes on, it actually looks to me like, despite the fact he doesn't return too many goals. Charlie White's probably the best for the team because he gives the likes of Gooch and, and Maguire a bit more space. But, but what do you think? How do you think we can get the best out of one of the three? It's a tough question, that, mate. Um, yeah. I don't think it helps that pre-season he tried a few different things that seemed to work and then he mm-hmm. seems to have the season started. He's resulted back to like what he did at the end of last season. Um, in terms of who, who he gets the best out of, I don't know. I think he needs to just keep keep uh, rotating it keep trying something new and when it click I, I reckon we'll absolutely hammer someone um, yeah. one week you know one of them gets a couple of goals then we go bang right well then we we, um, we kind of build on that as a team um, but at the, this moment in time who's the best fit I don't know I just know Charlie White works his works his nuts off so to speak yeah um, every time I've seen Greg play we seem to just ram balls down his throat Um I don't know. Honestly, don't know the answer to that question for you. Yeah, I feel like that with Greg. I feel like when Greg gets the ball on the floor, you 
you see glimpses of why we paid a silly amount of money from or why that seemed like a a calculated gamble at the time. Um, but I just feel, and I know people disagree with me because people really don't seem to buy into Charlie White, but I just feel like when Charlie White plays, he might not bring the goals, but we look best as a team and, and Gucci and Maguire bang. And you want a strike that's going to score 15, 20 goals, but what Maguire and Maguire and Gucci, I think, got about 20 between them last season, didn't they? So I, I don't know, it's a difficult one. Me personally, love to see Danny Graham become the, the cult hero and bag 30 goals this season, but I, I think I'm... I think I'm just hoping for that. I think 10 at best if we're looking for. Um, I'll chuck this one at you, Connor. If you had to choose... I mean, he's been playing two up front, hasn't he, with Aidan O'Brien, but I think he can't seem to hit a Bondo, like a Bondo with a banjo, can he? So, but, but what would you go with? Like, I know it's early doors, but what would your plan be, Connor? What, where would you go with it? Um, it's a bit of problem, like you said, no one's really making that state for that claim, other at the moment with, in terms of goals. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is, uh, like like anyone, I've slagged Charlie White off. But on Saturday, Gucci's goal was down to him dragging the defender along. Yeah. And it, that's what we need. And if we want to make the most out of Gucci, who is arguably our best player, apart from Maguire, obviously. Yeah. He's White's probably the best option in my eyes. He's not going to score you 15, 20 goals a season. But if he offers. The, to be a handful for defenders to get the attacking midfielders into those positions to score goals and that's the only way I can say it it's, they've got, we've got no option have we? unless we're going to go spend some money on a, on a good striker but who's out there there's no one yeah and we've got to pin with hopes on Will Griggs scoring those goals you know when you look at like the team as well with Charlie White and surveying the time that he's been at Sunderland and I'm, I'm being really defensive of him here and I haven't always been that defensive of him because I do think he has frailties. There's a reason he's in League One. There's a reason we're in League One. But I think with um, with White, since he's been... We got him from Bradford and if you watch the, the Bradford goals that he scored in that season, we got like 19 goals. It was like balls banged into the box consistently, like powered in. When you look at the way Parkinson played and the way that Jack Ross has played, when Jack Ross was there, he had two wingers that would kind of like fought on with the ball on the side. And don't get me wrong, McGeady would often bang one in himself anyway, but you didn't have out-and-out wingers that would just get down the byline and put a cross in. It was more like he would maybe be getting on the box and McGeady would play with it for about five minutes and he'd not be attacking the ball, whereas the way that Parkinson plays, it's almost like a focal point where you launch it to him and he opens up space and drags other people out of the game. So it's like maybe the Charlie White that we bought or the ones that we've seen from the highlights is not actually the Charlie White that we we play, we play them in a really different way. And I think, again, I know you want to see goals from a striker and, and the argument would always be five goals a season from a number nine is not enough. And I agree with that. But I think with what we've got at the time of speaking, I, I agree Charlie White's probably the best option because of what he brings to the team elsewhere. Um, but Ian, you might you might have a different opinion. What, what's your thought? Um, actually, no, I, I must admit, I do feel fairly, um, you know, similar. I think, you know, the style of, you know, Parky like direct, get the ball up and actually have 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 our skillful players actually playing off that should should suit White, you would hope. Um it does mean he's maybe not gonna score goals, but we have, you know, you know, the the, the other players there who, who will score goals. Yeah. Um but but dare I say I would like a slight Upgrade on a on a Charlie White style, you know, striker. But yeah, yeah, you know, finances are not there. But uh, yeah, you're right. Um, 
fun, fun, you know, I mean, going going back to Saturday, we we actually played a lot of good football on on the the floor, and uh, which Greg, I would like to, I would like to see us try to play at his strength just the once. You know, it would be quite yeah. nice. It's always when he's on the pitch, we seem to just chip balls at him about forty miles an hour, don't we? Like in the air and all over, and yet when he doesn't play, we seem to put the ball on the floor, but. I suppose I'm not paid enough to, to understand what part your thoughts are behind that. That's maybe a grievance I've got. Um, moving away from Sunderland, we can leave that in a kind of positive box because we won big game. Um, probably the biggest news in football this week, in my personal opinion, it's one I'm dead excited for because but I love him as a player. And he's, one of, in my opinion, one of the all-time Premier League greats, uh, Gareth Bale's back. Carl, thoughts on, on Gareth Bale coming back? What, what do you think? I'm um, I'm buzzing. He's back in the Premier League. Um, he's an exciting player. Uh, when he was in the Premier League, everyone watched him. Some of the goals he scored was were ridiculous. Um, I think he carried Spurs for a lot of the time when he was there the first time round. Yeah. Um, to see him play in a Spurs team this time round with better players, um, arguably, I th- I'm just really looking forward to it. He should uh, should do well. Where do you think he fits in? Because you've got like obviously Son and Harry Kane were absolutely on fire on. Sunday um, with the, I think was was it five two? Um, do you think he fits in on that kind of right hand side, like Son on the left, Harry Kane is your focal point, and then Gareth Bale on your right? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just before we came on Sky Sports had the stats up from um, Son, Kane, and Lucas, um, and Lucas was way off compared to assists and goals. What Harry Kane and Son had scored. And I think you chuck Gareth Bale in with the other two and I think it's a very, very dangerous attack for Spurs. Yeah, and I, I've got to be honest, I'm, I'm the first person to say that I'd love to see Mourinho prove people wrong. Not because I like Spurs, I just quite like Mourinho and I think my love for him's definitely grown since that, that fuck-off comment um, from the, uh, the Amazon Prime sort of documentary because that was just fantastic TV and I think he's very much not playing a character. I think he's been being who he is, but um, away from sort of Jose, but still kind of on topic with Gareth Bale and Connor, do you think Gareth Bale is coming back to Spurs at the right time? Do you think he's he's coming back at the wrong time or do you think he'll come back and be as good as he was last time, if not better? Well, I always say don't go back, don't I? That's what I always say, Kevin Phillips. Um, who else has it been? Just have memory. Michael Bridges. Alone, he had the option to go to Liverpool. He didn't go back. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I hope he proves us wrong because I think he's unbelievable. His days were so before he went to Real Madrid. He was insane. I always have this memory of his of being in a pub watching the Champions League final when he scored that overhead kick. Oh. And then um, it was probably the best goal I've ever seen. I keep I still say to this day that he made that was the best goal I've ever seen because he sort of changed his direction when he was in flight. So he's he's unbelievable, obviously. Um, and I think it's a positive thing for the Premier League to have him back. Do you think he's been not necessarily away from Spurs too long, but do you think he's been away from playing actual football for too long? Do you think that'll affect him? Because he's, he's pretty much just took the piss at Real Madrid because they've treated him like shit for so long. And it's been obviously like a... How do you describe it? I mean, I, I'm, I kind of understand them being annoyed and, and frustrated. At the end of the day, Real Madrid choose the team that they want to choose and Zidane does what he, he likes. But it seems like it's been like... I could be wrong, but it feels like a good year and a half since he's played regular football. How much is that going to affect him? Um, you don't know though, do you? You don't know what goes on off the pitch and training. Is he is he training hard? Is he not? Is he just spending all his time on the golf course, which was rumoured? Um, 
Well, he is. He's a fantastic player. And obviously, when you have that sort of ability, it just doesn't leave you, does it? Yeah, class is permanent. I think it's the same, isn't it? So I'd be really surprised if he came back and flopped. I must be honest, it's never even entered my mind when I seen that he came back. Um, Ian, obviously, I think we've unanimously agreed that we think Gareth Bale's a good signing. So if you want, you can piss on our chips and tell us you think it's a terrible signing. But what's your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't really know. I mean, you can't, you know, the, the, the quality's there. You know, we know that. I think is um, the is uh, the sort of trophy hall actually. Yeah, Real actually speaks for itself. Just how good he is, how many big goals he scored. Yeah. You know, you know, you don't, you know, you don't really lose that either. So, um, yeah, I can't wait. You know, to actually see him. You know, going is the Mourinho though the right you know manager for him? Um, I'm not certain about that, but. Um, I just think that seems like a little bit of a their sort of car crash waiting to happen there. But you know, for Spurs in in sort of general. However, and um, yeah, I'm all up for it. Yeah, let's, let's see how he goes. It'll be it'll be good. Yeah. Talking about Spurs, whilst we're on it, one thing I kind of realised as I was sort of looking through where's he going to play, where's he going to be put in the side, I thought, where's Deli Ali? And then it kind of dawned on me, I've been watching League One football for way too long and Deli Ali's pretty much disappeared off the face of the planet. I think he's not getting in the England side. And I think two years ago, he was classed as probably the, probably the best in his age range with years and years and years to go. I think there was loads of sort of assists that he'd had that were put up and, and he was breaking records right, left and centre. And now he's in a bit, of, a bit of no man's land. He's obviously not very well liked by Mourinho from, from his squad selection. He's nowhere near the England squad at the minute. Um, I'll, I'll throw this one at you in um, do you think Deli Ali has got a future at Spurs or, and if he has what can he do to turn it around I actually don't I think watching it over the past few few sort of days he's no he's out as you know days are very much sort of numbered um, not even I don't think he was in the past two squads no um, if you've watched that Amazon you know they sort of dock you know um this sort of Mourinho doesn't really mince his words when it comes to <laughs> you, you could know, say that this yeah. sort of Deli Alley. <laughs> he doesn't like him. Um and yeah, I think I think and I I do believe if you fall out with um you know the with the their manager there, then yeah, yeah, you've had it. You know, there's no there's no sort of coming back for him. So yeah, and maybe a fresh, you know, start. He's been at Spurs. I think what six six it's been a six while this season. yeah yeah so yeah yeah I think probably time for him, yeah to move and you know if, you know seen him link with some you know you know good sides uh, you know sort of PSG so yeah there's, there's definitely room from elsewhere I think but I very much think that a, a move just to freshen stuff up would be good from from his own perspective and definitely from England's perspective I think because I think he's he's definitely not seen the last of his days in England shirt. He's far too young and far too good for us to count them off. But um, talking of big signings this week with Gareth Bale, um, I'll come to you with this one, Connor. We've got some tremendous signings that have also happened this week. We've got um, long-term Sunderland and Simon Grayson's target, Ross McCormick to Aldershot. We've got Charlie Adams gone to Dundee and rumours that Anthony Stokes has moved to, to East Kilbride. Um what do you make of like <laughs> what I class as like a celebrity signing? Is is 
is it a good move for like a club like Aldershot to get a big name in? Does it have value, or does it is it just last payday for the other guy and a bit of social media for the team, which works out? You would hope that it would be for experience for the team because you would think with all what he's experienced, especially in Ross McCormack, you would be able to help the younger players around the club. But <laughs> I think it was the way he was just desperate, really. I don't think he had any more options, did he? I, I don't know if he's down from lives down that way or something, but he mustn't have had many options because I think he's probably a, a, re, a step above that level. Yeah. Personally, when you consider we were linked with him every summer for the past fifty years, just about, um, he still must have something in his locker. I think it's like with, with Ross McCormack as well. That, that was my thoughts immediately. I would think, well, especially like say Charlie Adam at Dundee. I think it's his home club. It's that makes sense. Charlie Adam's got loads of experience. He's obviously done it here, there, and everywhere at a really high level, and is probably going to be brilliant at that level as a player, let alone the experience you can give. But then I look at like Ross McCormack and I think, I mean, I'm never one to judge a person without meeting them. And I'll never have a conversation long enough with Ross McCormack to know his entire personality. But he never really shone that brightly from what managers had said. I mean, but it, it was only five years ago. He was or five or six years ago. He was worth about 11 million. But, but Carl, what, what do you think? Like, as I said, like celebrity signings, um, do you think they have benefits like smaller clubs or do you think it's better for them to kind of just concentrate on maybe a, a team bonding, a, a team unit, so to speak, as opposed to like the big name signing or do you think it does have benefits? I think, I really think, it's, I know it's not, um, I still think you can play at a higher level, Ross and Cormac, if I'm being totally honest, but for Aldershot, it's a massive pull. Um, mm. People in that obviously COVID um, allowing, you're going to pull bigger crowds in. They're yeah. going to go and want to watch him play. Um, the lads in the dressing room will get a buzz off him, playing around better players. will get the best out of out of their lads as long as he's not a bit of an arsehole in the change room or anything like that. Um, it's 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 a brilliant signing for Aldershot. Um, God knows what he's getting paid or anything like that, but um, that one surprised us a lot more than Charlie Adam going to Dundee. Yeah. Um, I thought that was quite a good fit for him uh, and the club but yeah. the Ross McCormack one was a was a head scratcher but not you see it quite regular now and to go and play in the National League um, you look at Harrogate who've just come up from the National League it's not that big of a step down anymore No, it's, they're not that far away you can definitely sort of do stuff in that division and come up and I think um, you know you, you mentioned Harrogate there as well I think a few players went there maybe different characters like John Stead um, obviously went to Harrogate and he's been promoted and he's, he, I mean I was speaking to him just, just a few weeks ago obviously that, that interview's out this week and he was just saying you know how great it was that it's kind of almost like reinvigorated him at 37 not that he was like fed up but he, he had a tough few years at Notts County he went to Harrogate and it actually was a good experience for him he's now like my proudest moment is winning at Wembley even though there was no fans there so I suppose there's potential if the player treats it with the right level of respect that, you know, there is someone that can get their own out of that, their own experience out of that and their own benefits from it, not just helping the club. But I found it quite funny that, because I was thinking from another player's perspective, maybe when I was asking this question, Aldershot had changed their, um, their Twitter hand, not their Twitter handle, their Twitter biography. And all it said was the club that Ross McCormack plays for if you're like an yes, Aldershot yeah. player, 
Now, it's funny from a fan's perspective, right? But I mean, and, and I'll tell you what, I'll throw this one at you, Ian, because we're going to go on Anthony Stokes in a minute, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a very good conversation, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yeah. You read that and do you think, oh, that's funny? Or do you think, well, hang on a minute. I also play for them. And this is not all about Ross McCormack. I've been like working my bollocks off for the best part of two, three years for this club. Am I taking this way too seriously? Um, I think I I think we live in an age now where that that social media, um, you know that their sort of presence there is is actually huge now. So I mean we're we're both quite regular, you know, sort of Twitter um, yeah. users. You know, you know I post a lot. I like I like to I like to chat about all all kinds of things and. Um, you you do like it, you know. You love it when you see, you know, you know the different, you know, sides doing all all kinds of, you know, new, you know, new things and funny things, and really having having a having a good a, a good sense sense of their sort of humour, and actually it lightens the load, especially especially just now when you know things are actually That's true. fairly dark and pretty grim, aren't they? But. Yeah. Um, yeah, haha. So, so I think no, I'm all for I'm all for a bit of you know, sort of banter, as it were, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've got a... I've um, got a... I, um, <laughs> I, will, I will just say, I would be a bit worried about them placing all their eggs in, in um, the, the basket of, of a player who's... Um, their electric, you know, doors didn't work and he couldn't get, get to, you know, training when he was at, um, yeah. you know, Villa, so... I remember that. I do remember that. That was... That, that's what I mean about, I mean, again, I, I don't know him at all, but there was question marks. But, you know, maybe he sees this as last chance loon and his chance to jump back up. Um, before we move away from celebrity signings, um, <laughs> I've got to touch on Anthony Stokes. Um, for, for those unaware, he's, he's signed for Livingston, obviously, bottom of the league at the moment, but they're a really well-run club. They've, they've probably, for a few years, have been punching above their weight for a long time, and I, I don't think they're going to be down the bottom all season, if I'm honest with you, but Stokesy's gone there. Obviously, Stokesy's had a good career. Stokesy's done well um, with Stokesy. He then, I think, five weeks later, cancelled his contract. And effectively, the way that I read it was just because he didn't like the AstroTurf pitch, which is sort of fair enough. And it, it wasn't kind of building in for him <laughs> correctly, but he's apparently due to sign for East Kilbride. Now, this could be absolute horseshit, but how do you go from Livingston to East Kilbride? And do you think that he's going to be a little bit upset about the pitches he finds at East Kilbride, Ian? <laughs> um, I don't think he's going to, I, I don't think he's going to find too many top, uh, you know, AstroTurf, their sort of pitches in uh, their East, East Kilbride. Um, I mean, where are they now? Are they in the East of Scotland League? That's a really good question. I know that they're not too yeah. far from my house, but I haven't ventured there for a few weeks. But um, I know that <laughs> I know in terms of league position, they're vastly different to Celtic Hibs and and, and uh, I was going to say Rangers. Thank God, he'd never signed for Rangers, would he? Jesus, um, and and obviously Livingston. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, he might not go. It, it's very much a rumor mill, but it's it, it's strange, isn't it, when you, we see signings like that? But I suppose you've you've all kind of convinced me that maybe there is benefit to it. And it's not just a a, a bit of clickbait I suppose um, one thing I, I have to bring up and I'm going to bring it up in two ways and I, I'm going to be honest I'll, I'll bring this to you Connor first because it made me absolutely howl with laughter and I don't know if it should have made me howl with laughter I'll, I'll hold my hands up and be honest but Patrice Ever pretty much telling everyone that David Moyes' daughter had a relationship with 
with Williford Zaha. Now, I watched that as someone who'd just been to uni and, and done media law and kind of thought, oh my God, Patrice, what are you doing? You cannot say that. That's like, that's defamation of character, it's potential libel, like what, across the board as well. Um, but I've got to be honest, I was wetting myself laughing immediately. But do you think that kind of punditry is is good do you think that Zaha will just laugh it off or do you think it's he's going to step too far in talking about players love life to be honest I think the best part of that was the apology at the end because it was so <laughs> awkward <laughs> oh he does um, he, he has never met David Moyes' daughter uh, that's what that's what she said I think and it was like oh, this is bad but um, yeah the Obviously, this year there's been like a major shakeup, though, hasn't there? Like with Sky yeah. Sports News and Soccer Saturday, and I understand there needs to be more diversity with more female uh, panelists, etc. And my obviously, you are going to get all the negative responses on Twitter and stuff because we know how negative it can be. Yeah. But my initial impressions were: I watched it last Saturday. I didn't watch it this Saturday because I was watching the Sunday game, but it. It actually came up quite well, apart from the Patrice Evra bit. <laughs> but we know what he, we know what he's like. All you've got to do yeah. is watch videos of him dancing with chickens and stuff. That, oh, I remember that he's chicken bit, video. He's a bit mad. Yeah, and I've got to be honest, it was like, until he went on Twitter and turned and, and retired, basically, I would have never like pigeonholed Patrice Evra as an absolute nutcase. He would have never been the guy that would be like, oh, I bet that Patrice Evra's an absolute nutter. And he evidently is. Um, but, yeah, he, What's your thoughts, Cole, on um, not so much Wilfred Zaha's love life, but his Patrice Evra's uh, revelations about his alleged, you can see I've trained in my media law here, alleged um, relations with, with Wilfred, uh, David Moyes' daughter. Do you think that was a step too far or do you, do you think it's kind of sometimes funny you see that level of honesty that, and people like, just don't give a shit what people think? I think um, I think Sky Sports knew exactly what they were getting. Um, they knew it would be a bit controversial, a bit funny. Um, he speaks his mind. Uh, I think it was it. I think he probably knows himself um, after he said it. It'll have been a step too far. Wilfred Zars probably cringing in the after he's heard it and all the rest of it. But um, let's see. Sky Sports know exactly what they're getting from Pat Reese Evra. Um, the, the, around any corner there's going to be a little bit of comedy value there keeps people entertained yeah so yeah I think, I think he's class like personally yeah yeah me too I, I'll be honest like from a total entertainment perspective taking everything else out of the equation I was wetting myself laughing at it and I don't know why maybe my I don't I, we all know we're not big fans of David Moyes because of his Sunderland connection but then it kind of made me think oh god has he gone too far with that and then my media law head came on and I thought, oh God, he's got himself in so much problems. But um, Ian, it looks like they haven't sacked him, not as far as I'm aware. He might have a few weeks off, I think, to let himself cool down and understand the, the bad things that he's done and sit in the naughty corner. But um, should, in short, Wilfred Zaha have told the world that David Moyes' daughter was having a relationship with Wilfred Zaha at some point? Um, Allegedly. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I think Ever's gonna look back now and think, yeah, that wasn't the smartest of moves. Yeah. Um but I suppose it's like everything, isn't it? I mean, you um funnily enough, you know, I was, you know, just 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 sort of thinking about this and he's on he's on actually just now. So um 
Oh, has he? Uh, no, no, not Everett. Um, oh, uh, the, the Manchester City. Uh, oh, Michael Richards. Yeah, yeah. So Michael Richards, who I I like. He's he's a bubbly kind of guy. He's funny. Fabulous. You know, he says it. He says it how 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 he sees it. Um, I remember watching his his very first post match interview when he. Um, you know, he played played for played for City. You know, he did really well. He was about what nineteen or something, and he swore he swore live on on air. So um, and and you know, it's a learning curve, isn't it? That's the yeah. thing. You know, we all do. You know, we all do stuff when we're you know younger. Um, you know, yourself. You know, Graham. You'll know from from the you know the journalism and that media side that you know you have to learn that that sort of role and so on. Mm-hmm. And and you will make sort of errors, and I'm sure I'm sure sort of errors thinking, hmm, yeah, that wasn't the wisest move to drop that one. But you know, he will he will he will uh, learn, and I actually hope I hope it doesn't doesn't sort of take away from from some of the things which he's actually been sort of good at as well. Yeah. So you know, I've got to commend Graham Sooners absolutely wetting himself though laughing. You could see he was dying to like cry laughing at him. He just but he kind of just went. <laughs> and you just think, Graham, you just just say something, please say, just cut the ice, please, at some point. Um, we wanted to touch on this. I think, I think Connor, I'll come to you first because you sort of brought it up. Um, Leeds are scoring for fun and conceding for fun. Someone referred to them as like the the Kevin Keegan kind of side, the the fourth, the, you know, the fourth three. We'll score more than you, sort of sort of team. How do we feel about them being maybe potentially already the most entertaining side to watch this term for for good and bad reasons if you're a Leeds fan? Well, they were brilliant in the Championship last season. Everyone obviously got on board of the whole Bielsa ball system. And to be fair, when you watch them, they are brilliant. They're ridiculously fit. You saw Jurgen Klopp's reaction last week when Liverpool just scraped past them. And he was like, wow, wow, because he could... You just didn't know what they just seen. They were ridiculous. Yeah. And Bamford as well. Who would have thought that Bamford would be a prolific Premier League goal scorer? In a way, that's as well. From. You can see on you can see on social media when people are being like trying to wind them up in that, and he's he loves it. You can tell. Yeah, he takes it well, doesn't he? I think one one thing I heard about Bielsa, and I can't remember where I heard this, but it it was in some sort of. I feel like it was the Athletic, but I could be completely wrong. Um, someone had found like his old. Uh, his research that he put in on a team last year and he'd had an eight-page document on their, like some team's third-choice goalkeeper. Like it was an eight-page yes, document true, yeah. on how he'd played and stuff like that. Now, I was like amazed by it and I was like, whoa, that's amazing. Like, that's fantastic. Like, And then I really thought about it and I thought, what a complete waste of fucking time that is. Like, like, why has he gone that in depth? But then you think, how big are the documents that he'll have on players like Mane and stuff like that? Um, but they're still conceding quite a bit, and they conceded quite a lot against, against, in my opinion, a relatively poor Fulham side who many people are saying that are just going to go straight back down to the trap door. Do you think that you need to bring in a bit more defensively? Do you think maybe the defence is suffering a bit? Well, it doesn't, they don't either, really, if we're just going to score the way they currently are. Do you think it's just because they're, like, like, they're more open? Do you think that, that that's what's causing them problems, that they're so forward-thinking that they're just getting caught a little bit? 
Yeah, basically, that's what I would say. And obviously, I think they probably do need strength from the back line a bit more. But watching them just entertain us, and that's what we want. We want to see goals. We want no matter who's playing, we don't care. We're in League One, so we don't <laughs> care who wins or loses. True. To be fair, very true. Um, my favourite thing about Bielsa, and I'll, I'll openly hold my hands up and say that I was kind of brought up, and I think I was touched on last week's show, that I was kind of brought up to, to not like Leeds for a million and one reasons. My dad, like Brian Clough, he was a Sunderland fan. There was a relationship with both of those people where you know Leeds are not well liked and they were referred to as dirty Leeds by many, many, many people, um, even Leeds themselves. But I've kind of started buying into Leeds as a, as a club. Like, I really like them. Um, it's, it's not just an entertaining side, but Bielsa's fun and, you know, the, the players seem quite personable and stuff like that. Um, my favourite thing about Bielsa, though, is the fact that he goes everywhere in his Leeds tracksuit. Um, I, I don't quite understand why he does it and why he's adverse to his suit, but I'll, I'll bring this to you, Carl. Do you think that Bielsa can... I want to wild prediction here do you think you can get them in like top seven like sort of Sheffield United last season there's a good chance they're going to be a surprise package this year if you keep going the way they go if they can tighten the defence up and, and keep scoring goals then there's always that chance yeah um, in terms of, of being in his, his tracksuit all the time has anyone seen him in anything other than his Leeds tracksuit nah <laughs> nah absolutely not I've only ever seen him in, I think they did a I think it was their centenary photo and they had the whole squad and like the, the legends and stuff like that had their full suits on and they're like proper Leeds embroidered suits and he's right in the middle of it and his Leeds tracksuit didn't change into a suit. Yeah. Can't understand why, but here's what it is, isn't it? Um, apart from Leeds, do, do you think there's anyone else that can sort of shock the Premier League this year, Carl? Do you think there's any other teams that you've looked at and thought, well, hang on, they, they look pretty decent actually? Um... I was quite impressed with Crystal Palace yesterday. Yeah. Um, I thought they looked really dangerous going forward. They defended really well and they looked like the like a real outfit. Yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> they, 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 after only a couple of games, they the, the standout ones. I think Leicester have started well again. Um J- Jamie Vardy carrying on where he left off. And the other one for me was Everton. Um looked like a totally different side to, to what Angelotti inherited last year. Yeah. I think I've been impressed with Dominic Carver Lewin. I think he's been superb. insane. Absolutely class. Especially in the air. He's ridiculous. Do you think he's quite underrated? He's made Dominic a couple of signings, obviously. Quite underrated, isn't he, Dominic Carver Lewin? No one no one really speaks about him. No, they don't. He could be knocking on the door for England soon if he, if he carries on, definitely. Talking about England and, and you know that the fact that Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been probably I think he was I'm sure he was Everton's top scorer last season he got a hat-trick on Saturday I'll throw this to you Connor because obviously you brought it up but the likes of like Tammy Abraham have got a cap for England and you know rightly so Solanke has got a cap for England it doesn't seem like Gareth Southgate's frightened to throw people in do you think he's do you think he's been a bit unlucky not to have a cap already despite his early uh, early form uh. I would say he's just really starting to show what he can, what he has in his locker. Really, he's just really last season. I can show what he can actually offer. Mm-hmm. So it's if Grealish gets called up, then he's going to get called up anytime soon. Yeah, I think so too. I Definitely, think, he's brilliant. I think from what from what I've seen of him, I mean, I, I, I was lucky enough that I put him in my fantasy team on on Saturday. I had him on the bench originally, and I thought I'll stick him on in a four three three. And yeah, top top scorer this week. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks very much, Dom. Um, 
you've got Hammers there as well, um, or James, Jimmy. I'm, I bet everyone in, in Liverpool, well, Everton, sorry, must call him James, uh, must call him James or, or Jimmy. Surely you don't call him Hammers, do you? Can it? Um, Everton are that team, though, that always teeter on the brink of pretending they're good, like, but then just miss out without actually being anywhere near the bottom. With the signings of like Hammers and with Ancelotti being in charge and with Dominic Calvert-Lewin looking like the striker that can get you 15, 20 goals a season, do you think that Everton could, for once in the first time in a while, break into like the top seven, top six? Yeah, I would say so because they've made some strong signs this year and I can definitely see your points because I remember the year they got Lukaku. Yeah. Signed them on a permanent and everyone thought, God, this is going to push them on massively. Ross Barkley, he was rumoured to go back then. He signed a new contract and then they just dipped. And I can't remember who the manager was at the time, but he got sacked as well, which everyone like the Premier League Sunderland, they just seem to start well, then they just dip and the managers get sacked and they just revolving door after that. Yeah, pretty much. I couldn't tell you how many managers have had the since the Moyes era. Too many. And I'm much. sorry for saying Moyes. All right, we'll beep it out. That's why I get it. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll come to sort of you in, and I wanted to move on to sort of Saturday's games had a pilot test. Now, I've been really, really, really lucky in the sense that obviously I work for Middlesbrough Women and I've done all the pre season, and we've been mainly behind closed doors up until I think our last game. And it's a bit of a weird one at the moment where we're currently at home, we're able to house fans. As the time that we speak, we're able to sell tickets up to thirty percent of our of our capacity. So it's a it's a lower crowd. Um, it, it's spaced out. It is different, but it, it's possible. Yet we're going away next week, and then we're playing at the stadium light as it is. But there's no fans allowed, which I'll be honest, I'm absolutely devastated about because um, I'll have like a forty eight thousand feet <laughs> stadium to myself. Um, but the pilot testings brought in, I think it was a thousand fans. And I think off the top of my head, Middlesbrough were like one of those clubs and you kind of heard the crowd noise and those people back. And I'll be honest, it is a different from what I've experienced, even having just like 200 fans spaced out in comparison to having absolutely no one makes a world of difference. Um, but there's guidelines and things. You're not meant to celebrate goals and there's all sorts of stuff, and which is just impossible. You, you react on impulse as a fan. Um, do you think the pilot test is going to be a good thing do you think it's too early to bring it in how long do you think it's going to be before fans can actually come back I oh that's a massive this sort of question there um with my professional head um and I'm not I'm not a the sort of COVID expert um I am a registered nurse I do work for the health service yeah so I am gonna I'm really quite quite sort of negative about about this you know you know you know for the virus from nowhere near on on sort of top of things um i think as regards football as regards the the bigger clubs that have decent they sort of stadiums actually it should be reasonably easy to to make football safe and have say a sort of third of the fans in there, you know. Yeah. Um, however, you know, blanket wise, you know, it's not going to work. I mean, we've been to, um, you know, Wimbledon, 
you know, Accrington and Fleetwood, you know, grounds like this, small, there's no space, you know, it's not going to be safe. And uh, as much as I want to be back at the football, um, you know, we'll have to be safe. And that's and, and that's the main thing. I think <laughs> I think when they say drive fans back for October, you know, and we'll, you know, test that out and so on. I think when that was first sort of muted, that sounded reasonable. Yeah. You know, um, however, the way things have you know changed over the past, you know, two weeks basically, I think we're, I think we're actually sort of kidding ourselves that we're going to get back anytime soon. Yeah. As as someone who who um is, is part of the NHS and more of a medical professional than I will ever be, I have to ask if my eyesight is failing, is it the right thing for me to do to get in the car <laughs> and drive to to um. I don't know, a second home. Would, would you advise against that? <laughs> and I think we'll, we'll stay on the topic of, obviously, uh, the COVID situation because it is important. I think, you know, it affects absolutely everything that we do and, and football being a big part of our lives to the fact that we're sitting here at like nine o'clock on a, a Monday night talking about it via a Zoom conversation probably echoes the fact of how important it is. And, and at the moment, it's, it's, it's affecting us. Um, I think I've just read that uh, Gundogan has been uh, confirmed as a, a positive COVID case. I think there's been a couple of situations. Um, I'll, I'll come to you, Carl, but it's a big question and I don't think there's any right or wrong answer to it because we're all just not sure what's going to happen with it. But um, what do you think should happen w- with football in terms of crowds with the coronavirus cases evidently on the rise? It's a tough one. It's really, really tough. Um, I'm lucky enough to be involved with uh, with Shildon in the Northern League and we've had crowds back since the season started. Um, only at a only at a percentage of the capacity of the of the of the of the, the, the stadiums, the grounds. Um, so Saturday we were involved in the FA Vars um, and we had 150 fans in. Um, we kept reminding people that you had to be in groups of six, socially distancing, hand sanitizers in place. Everyone really respects everything that's in place for them. Um, and there's track and trace as you come in, uh, which is really good. Yeah. In terms of the massive stadiums, it's like filling them up. It's I think it's miles off, absolutely miles away. Um, but <laughs> to be without football altogether, I'd rather have this than nothing at all. Uh, if this is the way it's going to be for a bit, then so be. At least we've still got it. Um, it's just it, it was it was a really tough time for a lot of people when when the lockdown was in. There was no football, um, especially for someone like myself who would go to football on a Saturday afternoon. That was a massive reset button um, for that. You you know you forget the week. You press the reset button. You're ready to go for the next week with work, family, everything like that. And I think I speak for a lot of people when it comes to that. And um, so, if we can keep football, that'd be great. But obviously, I'm not being selfish. <laughs> so. No, I'm. I'm 100 with you on that. And you know what? I think um, some someone said it to me. I think it was that was second preseason game. I posted a photo of just the, the view that I had for film, and I had like a big tall ladder thing. And I think it was actually Michael Bowers comment and said it, it must feel class to be back at football. And it was the first time it like hit me that I was like, hang on a minute. Like, although technically, like it is my job at Borough, and and, and I enjoy doing it. I'm I'm just chuffed that I'm just sitting getting to watch football and I'm the only person in the crowd. And I know that's recently changed because the rules have changed a little bit. But even like the game on, on Sunday, it was our first league game of the season. And as people were coming in, it was like we had track and trace, we had hand sanitizer, we advised people to wear masks. 
and like I'm filming the game and you've probably seen the photo of me with like the mask on I'm filming the game with my mask on I'm looking at people with masks on and I'm trying to make sure that I'm distant away from the players when I'm trying to film stuff at the same time. But I'm, I still feel like immensely privileged that I have actually managed to watch a pre-season and I can plan my, my life around the weekend. And, and it's a little different to go and watch Sunderland play because, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to have a few pints or a, a bottle of hockey beforehand. But um, when it comes to when it comes to like actually watching football, I can I can socialise with the girls and socialise with the team and have a bit of a chat and have a bit of a laugh and and that's that's in a way my own reset. It's just a little bit of a day later with obviously women's football being on the, on the, the Sunday, but um, I'll come to you as well, Connor. Um, again, there's no right or wrong answer, but what, what do you think should happen regarding sort of crowds, both on a small scale and a long scale from grassroots all the way up when it comes to coronavirus with cases rising, lockdowns, second lockdowns being threatened and all sorts of stuff. Echo everything that Carl's just said, really, let's be honest, football's massive, massively helpful for mental health. That's the way I personally see it. Yeah. During lockdown, not having football, it was it was hard. I was a, I was classed as a key worker. I worked all the way through it. And just not being able to relax on a weekend and watch a game, whether it was on the telly or in person, I missed it. I honestly did. And I think the most important thing at the minute is concentrating on grassroots level and lower league level because the money that those cl- is what those clubs need. That's where they get the money. The clubhouse, the, the fans coming in, buying merchandise. So personally, I think the way the FA get a lot of slack, but the way they're currently doing it is the best way in my eyes. They need to concentrate on getting fans back at the lower league levels and then working up. But like Carl says, I think we're miles away from full stadiums. Yeah. But I know there are other sports around the world where they are starting to get more fans in. I'm a keen Formula One fan and I know the Nürburgring in Germany just announced that they're going to let 20,000 fans in for the Formula One race next month. Mental. So that's positive. It's, a, it's definitely a positive thing to look forward to. The Germans always seem to get it right, don't they? <laughs> well, a, they a cars, I suppose. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, that gives everyone a bit of hope though, doesn't it? If yeah, we, we see the football fans in at the Dortmund game yesterday, uh, Saturday, sorry, and it just gives you that little bit of li- like little bit of a lift. That news there, what Connor's just said, 20,000 fans, that's mint that. Um, we just have to, I think we need to keep <laughs> looking at them and thinking, yeah, this is, this is coming back, hopefully. Do you not remember when we announced that the um, Bundesliga was coming back? That that buzz for the week, the first cycle like, of football after so many months. Everyone was yeah. watching the games. Everyone was picking the German teams who to support. <laughs> Great one. And, oh, amazing. And that's talking what I mean. Everyone needed needed that lift. Talking about that. Now this is this is going to sound like a shameless plug, but nonetheless, because I think. I would be incredibly surprised if we see anywhere near a 48,000-seater stadium in the next 12 months. And, and I'm being deadly serious with that. I hope I'm wrong, but I honestly think at least unless vaccine comes in and then there's, there's going to be political war with the vaccine. Let, let's not lie. That's probably going to happen as well, whoever gets it first, because unfortunately that's how the world seems to be working. But when it comes to the games you can attend, like we had a couple of people... Um, who normally wouldn't go see Middlesbrough women, Middlesbrough fans that were like, I'm going to come down and support the, you know, the, the ladies team this weekend. And they brought the kids along and they watched a couple of games and they watched the game and stuff like that. And, and they got involved. They bought a, uh, they bought a scarf, they bought a, a programme. 
And they injected a little bit of cash into things for a club that, if I'm quite honest with you, any club at that level needs it. Um, you'll be the same with, with, with the Shilvan call. But do you think, so although you hate supporting yeah. a club that's not your own and you'll always have your own club, do you think maybe now is a good time for, you know, if you have got a spare Saturday or a spare Sunday, go and see your local club, chuck a bit of money into them while you can? 100%. 100%. You get you get out in the fresh air, you go and watch a game of footy. Um, it costs nowhere near like going to watch... Uh, a Newcastle or a Sunderland or Middlesbrough um, it's a snippet of the price and it's an honest game of football yeah which is really good um, and you go and have a you have a good time you put a little bit of money back into a non-league club and it, it's a winner all round and you can drink in the stands and you can drink in the stands even better <laughs> get a beer as well this is very true I've got a friend who's a, a South Shields fan who I went to uni with and I think he started as a Newcastle fan and I know there's a few stories and I know people go, oh, here we go. But I think he had a kind of a, a flickering interest for Newcastle and his mate said, oh, come down to see South Shields. You'll see basically what you just said they're called, non this game of football. Um, you can have a few pints in the stand. You can have you can have a cigarette. You'll see a few characters that have been there for the best part of 50 years and have just never actually moved. Um, and he loves it. He's home and away with Shields now. Um, and um, it's killed him as well. It's killed him not being able to go see them because I think he was really heavily involved with South Shields but but Ian you've got like our growth obviously is next door our growth uh, they've got mm-hmm. 6,000 more Twitter followers than you know some some third division um, women's clubs which are still growing and our growth have been there for years um, with our growth playing and stuff mm-hmm. like that you used to go see them anyway so you understand the importance of it but would you commend or, or, or recommend people sorry to go down and see their local club put a bit of money in while you can while our, our main clubs are kind of unfortunately going to be away from fans for a while yeah, 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 definitely. And especially, I mean, in, um, you know, Scotland, where you still have this, you know, exodus on the weekend for fans who go actually think that, um, you know, Glasgow to watch, um, you know, the, the, the old firm. Um, you know, I'm I'm surrounded by fans of um, the, the Dundee sides, you know, Dundee's not far far from us, us at all. Um so yeah, it would. I want. I tell you one, one, one thing that has actually struck me is the is the spirit about um, the the town and um, the, the the club and actually keeping going. You know, you know they've been raising raising lots of funds. Uh, you know, season. You know, uh, sort of ticket sales have been really good. Um, so yeah, it's been yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely shown. I think. I think it's it's shown at that that sort of grassroots level that uh, uh, you know fa- fans are really rallying round and you know making they they the most of, of of sort of things just now. So we're yeah. trying to trying to hold our laugh because <laughs> your cat just decided. <laughs> oh. People can't see this, but your cat just decided to take a little bit of interest in the. <laughs> basically for, for those who can't see who they can't <laughs> Ian's cat pretty much jumped on top of the, the fridge freezer I think it is Ian and it just had the kind of had the kind of face that they were like dad 
what are you talking about? Like, I totally don't totally disagree with that. But uh, I think <laughs> I think on that note, I, I don't think we could leave it on a better note. But what, what's your cat called, Ian? It's um, the Ruby. Well, he's, she's a nosy bastard. Let her know that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's Ruby who's in my, um, their sort of avatar on their sort of... Ah, avatar. yes, so is. So on is. the very same fridge, I believe, actually. Well, I tell you what, you'll not be able to see this, people watching back, and it's going to be, the last minute of this is going to be lost on everyone, but as Ian was speaking, the best part of all of, all of us trying not to laugh at the cat who literally <laughs> was on top of the fridge, eyes piercingly into the top of Ian's head, deciding that what Dad had said was absolute bullshit, assumingly. Um, but thanks very much for being on, lads. Um, thanks for the first time, Ian. Thanks for coming back. Uh, hope you had a good, a good time. Uh, onwards and upwards in the next week and, and fingers crossed it's going to be a while away but we'll, we'll have fans in some way in some sort of football ground on a regular basis sooner rather than later but thanks lads cheers pleasure thanks very much thank you